podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so we're deep in the middle of the International Snooze Fest, but we've awakened somewhat from our slumber to get into chatting about FPL again. Yes, we're stretching our arms up from the deep sleep, and we're here once more as we're trying to get into the game and perhaps get into the more esoteric side of things today, just because we've had a couple of weeks of talking about what to do in the upcoming double, what to do in the upcoming blank, and it's all been very necessarily tactical, but it's very nice every now and again to think about things from a more kind of strategic, macro zoom out sort of way and that's what we're trying to do today joined today by seb vassal wassel wassel it's wassel isn't it wassel close enough what wassel wassel leeds fan plant eater scout cast native and analytics fc spokesman at seb wassel on twitter all one words w-a-s-s-e-o-l it was a great guest last time we had him on and i was really glad that he said he'd come on again welcome seb Hey, well, I mean, thank you for having me. That was outrageously kind introduction. I don't think I can live up to that, but I will try my very best. Cool. Yeah. Welcome, Seb. Nice to have you. Nice to be back, Tom. A couple of weeks off. You didn't fancy doing an early international break one. You wanted a break from me, it seemed. Normally you do international break ones, but since I've been on, you decided not to. No, yeah, no, no. It made more sense to do this way and have a little break, I suppose, after the last game, which we'll get onto in a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Welcome, Seb. Thank you for joining us, of course. I missed you on the the fest, the first round on the panel, but thank you very belatedly for the round of drinks that you brought all of us, um, which is very kind. Diving into the pod today, of course, you can find Tom at WGTA underscore FPL, and you can find me at FPL underscore Harry. Today, we'll be covering, of course, how we did in actually game week 29, because we haven't had much since then. We'll be doing game week 30, blank game week, how we got on and what was a pretty roller coaster blank game week that it turned out to be that we planned and planned for that we couldn't ever have predicted some of the things that took place in that one we'll do the usual bits of market forces mini league updates and then into the main topic about sword shield chip strategy how we plan for the final eight game weeks of the season Oh, and let's start off with giving that quick update. So I think last time we actually spoke, it seems like an age ago, it was kind of mid-game week 29, which seems absolutely crazy. I mean, back then I reported I was on like you know, 66, I think it was, and I ended up 115 net then. That that was really good. That was that was a really good time that I'm still holding on to. I'm, I'm not looking forward to getting onto my blank game week 30 update. But back then it was very good. Um, huge performance from Andy Robertson uh, in particular against Arsenal, <laughs> my team. Um, it was a bit rubbish actually. I think because obviously as soon as Arsenal kind of started losing and when Robertson converted uh, sent the cross for Firmino, I, I knew what that meant for FPL and I was very happy about that and caught myself being happy about it. It probably kind of shows where my allegiances have really ended up now, let's be fair. Even though I'm not doing very well at FPL, but hey, there we go. Um, yeah, very good week. I ended up kind of 150k, something like that out of it. So yeah, 111 net I ended up with, um, which was very nice indeed. What about you, Harry? I think you were kind of near me, weren't you? Yeah, we were commiserating ourselves for the Cancelo haul that seemed to be taking place at the time while we were recording. And I was very sad that I'd sold Cancelo in order to buy Robertson. Of course, the second half of that game week went went a lot better than I really thought it was going to because I thought the big fixture mm-hmm. for Liverpool was the first one. But the big 18-pointer for as part of my minus 12 that week, it did actually pay off with a lot of the other transfers as well. Doherty, Kulisevsky getting that very late ghost-like assist in that game finally oh. got added in was very happy to get that so 
it was actually a, yeah a very good second half to double game with 29 yeah cool who got the assist indeed i did that thing where i finally tweeted who got the assist <laughs> and that was my most liked tweet for ages i've been storing that, that one up for five years it's like when they say the, the title of a film in a film it's the I best know. part best part ah, he said it he said it anyway on to blank game week 30 do we have to report on this i suppose we probably should for continuity Let's start with Seb. How did you do and how have you been getting on kind of this season altogether? I think last time I checked in on you on the scout cast, you were you know, up in the top 10K. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm, so I'm just under 6K, like 5'9 something. Um, but I was one of those people who played four chips in a row from 26 to whatever it was, 29, something. It was all so long ago now. Um, but with a, with a wild card, with a free hit, with a bench boost, with a triple captain, I've got one free hit remaining now. So realistically, while I am about uh, 6K, I would expect to maybe hold on to, say, top 15K, if I'm lucky, when everyone else has a turn to play their chips too. Because you look at, like, I think, was it maybe Andy was the best example on Twitter, Andy Martin, who probably got quite unlucky and dropped from, like, a similar sort of rank right down into the 20s, if not even close to 40 at one point. And I think that'll just happen in reverse, you know, when those people get to play their chips and I'm just sat here mm. with free transfers and, uh, and no Harry Kane, for example. <laughs> uh, Game Week 30 itself was 51 points, which seemed all right, maybe saved a bit by Saka, Captain Son. As mentioned, no Kane, which is probably the main struggle I've had. And I don't think I'm going to get him anytime soon either, because I guess as we'll cover in a bit, there's more pressing concerns elsewhere at the moment. It's interesting. I had a conversation with someone on that before uh, about two weeks ago. At what point, like if you are 6K with one chip or no chips left, how far, like I've got three chips left, for example, I'm sat at 25K. Like at what point does the does the chips become the advantage over the, the rank? And at what point would you be comfortable, comfortable rank? Interestingly, you said you'd, you'd be quite happy finishing top 15K. To be honest, from where I am with my chips, I'd probably be aiming something similar, maybe top 10 if I can really push it. But seems to be that although you've got the points in the bank and I've got the chips in the bank, similar, similar sort of goal come the end of the season. I mean, I guess it's the same as Premier League teams when they've got games in hand. Yeah, It's not the same as having points on the board, but it is an opportunity to get more points on the board. And maybe it's the same if you... For example, what people say a good bench boost is maybe 15 points. Yeah. But if you played in a double game week when like, say, City, Chelsea, whoever have a double, you're going to have probably higher aspirations, ignoring the fact that you maybe can't bench Cancelo. But if there isn't a great opportunity to pay it, play it, maybe you're happy with 15 points. So, of course, it's going to be circumstantial. I guess you could draw an average and hope for that. But Salah, triple captain recently, is probably a really good example. That was probably the best triple captain, captain opportunity we've had in years and I chose the wild card. I think I came out net positive from that. I don't really want to work it out because that'll be unhelpful, but I'm pretty sure I did. And I triple captained him in, you know, just the week 29, was it? Whenever it was. No, uh, whatever, 28, 29. Yeah, it was when, 29, um, 29, yeah. It was 30 points, one goal, and then the sub appearance. Yeah. Exactly. So that didn't go as well for me. But overall, I think I'm net up on the strategy. Of course, you now, if say you have your triple captain, if you go and captain Salah, Kane, whoever it is, a city asset in 36 might be nice. While you could say, okay, the expectation is somewhere between 30 and 86 odd. Realistically, that's not nearly enough to say for sure. So while I'm very happy with my points on the board, I'm trying not to think, oh, I'm 6K and a drop from here is disappointing. Because realistically, I might actually be, you know, projected points, I might be 15K. So if that's a reasonable target, that's how I'm trying to judge myself. Makes sense. Yeah. 
how did you do, Harry? I think you said last week, you know, you were you weren't you'd been looking for this game week forever and making changes leading up to it. How big was the green arrow you got in the end? Not nearly big enough, sadly. I've been planning and planning for weeks for this game week, it felt like. And I said to myself going into game week 28 that if I dropped from 10K or 11K that I was to stay inside the top 20K come the end of game week 30, that I would have been happy with that outcome given that I was playing no chips. 28 went very, very badly, as we know. 29 went reasonably well. 30 went okay. And I think I'm about 21K now. I got 59 points all out. I took a minus four. I sold Rafinha about two minutes before the deadline. I took the gamble that he wasn't going to play and brought Barnes in and also sold Dean to Amati because I didn't want Dean in there. And if I don't keep Amati, then great. But he got my two points there. Saka, 11, Kane, 26. Ben White doing Ben White things once again. What a man he's turned out to be for me, especially with no Ramsdale this week. Ben White has been the unsung hero of my season. Another bonus point to add to it as well. Seven. How'd you get on, Tom? Oh dear. I didn't get on anywhere near as well. I got 44 minus four. And I, I think I just got a bit unlucky, really. So I let it by um, Jimenez. You can see where this is going to go, can't you? And uh, Barnes, I got them both in. Barnes did get the assist, but obviously uh, Jimenez did get very harshly sent off. It's the second half, wasn't it, said, But the start of the second half, if I remember correctly. Uh, Jimenez, yeah, 50 yeah. something minutes. Yeah, 50 something minutes against you. And then. I think just from that, I mean, I was out out in Bristol with Tom Campbell, and I was just I saw someone text me saying Jimenez has been sent off. I think it was Karam, and I, I thought he was like like just trying to troll me. And I saw I was just like, you, you don't even lo- I, I don't feel upset anymore. And I some people start like, ranting and raving like throw their phone around. I just laughed. Like, I was like, what can you do? So I was a minus six from one on Friday night, and and that's kind of how it and how it stayed. Really, so forty four minus four is what I got. Most of the points scored by Harry Kane and Saka. Martinelli and Ramsdale didn't show up, um, so I was kind of I think I was one Arsenal clean sheet away from kind of a grey arrow, as it was. It kind of hit me from one hundred fifty k to one hundred eighty, one hundred ninety k, something like that. I haven't looked to be honest, um, which probably shows where I am with all of this at the moment. I think one of the key things about this week in particular, this particular blank game week, which I think was really interesting and perhaps hasn't been seen before was that it's a week a blank week where the free hit was especially potent covering every base pretty much in terms of like madison saka kane son national defender like so many players did the job and i most people had some combination of that if they were on the free hit it was just like a a really interesting one as we'll see in in the uh, min league update in just a second just because it was just it was just a free green arrow for a lot of people and and Maybe obviously high insights went to any vision. In another world, Dean isn't injured. Ramsdale doesn't pick up a hip flexor injury, and Martinelli doesn't get a stomach bug. Um, but you know, it did make me kind of think again. In hindsight, should I have used that free hit when I was missing um, the three Liverpool guys a couple of weeks ago? I mean, City could have taken Everton apart, so yeah. it's just hindsight, really. But yeah, it's, it was just such a freebie of a green arrow to so many people. Even though we were saying beforehand, it's a bit of a bad week to free hit. Him. So there you go. Right, uh, let's move on to the mini league update very quickly. There is a new person on top, and they did aptly free hit. Yes, it's Joking Lengroth, RT Sterner. He free hitted for 74 points this week. He's taken the lead by just two points over Hakon Mangusnez at XL1151. In third, up from fourth, is Brett Taylor. I love Lamptey with 58 this week. In fourth, down from third, Sam McAfee. He and Brett have swapped places, but just four points in it. 49 points for Sam this week. Staying in fifth, Troy Hope, 51 points for Lucky Profit. James Coe, Bruno, number one, 57, stays in sixth. In joint seventh, it's Ryan Mackey and James S. Both get 
similar sort of area this week. 74 for Ryan on the free hit. 69 minus four for James without the free hit. That's pretty damn decent. Down from seventh to ninth, Chris Turner. Chris, we wish you all the best. Um, so obviously sort of had a bit of ill health recently. All the best from us, uh, dear me. Poor guy. Uh, 56 this week. Uh, so, well, did, did all right, to be honest, down to uh, ninth. And in joint tenth, uh, Lucas H and Steve Jones, both on the free hit. A massive 81 points from Lucas and Steve with a 79. Takes him into the top 10 uh, from the team. So yeah, very well done, everybody. And finally, on to the market forces. And I, uh, it's been quite slow, hasn't it, Harry? I don't think we've seen one price rise, have we? Apart from maybe Robertson price rise. But I think that there's definitely been a big sort of step away from FPL, hasn't there? Yeah, not that much activity. Only one player reaching 100,000 transfers in, which is Robertson. He's only just gone past it. Habits second Saka third still people trying to get on him after he's been pretty good in the past couple of weeks interestingly in about I think it's the top 10 players there's only one player with a double game week in game week 31 maybe people are learning from bad double game weeks of past and not piling in on Burnley and Everton although I think those numbers may creep up a little bit faster going into the final week over some of those others I think that veg course will probably end up being one of the top five most transferred in come the deadline but you've got players like Kane Cancelo coming back in particularly Cancelo after that blank as well but yeah Robertson the only real one that's moving and I think a lot of that's down to people seeing Trent with a orange triangle yeah Trent sold by 190,000 managers 172,000 for Jimenez there's, there's nothing too exciting here is there but maybe you know, Coutinho is the third most sold player what do you make of that Seb um I mean 75 there's uh, almost 72 sorry thousand sales for him thus far is people just making way for Havertz um, who's been you know performing pretty well uh three returns on the trot and with a nice feature against Brentford next is that people just kind of getting bored of Coutinho had enough of that luck and now they're trying their luck elsewhere yeah I mean I think he's a casualty of trying to build squads for the fixtures that are to come. And maybe, as you say, didn't do anything for a couple of game weeks, so isn't quite fresh in our mind, despite smashing it two weeks, or I guess it was the same game week, but two matches in a row before that. I personally got rid of him, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. I originally bought him in when he first signed for, I think it was for Salah. And then I wildcarded Salah back in, of course, because I'm not entirely crazy. Um, But I opted to keep Rafinha which, I mean, earned me one more point because Rafinha was out in the last match and he also put up a silly amount of XGI and then hit the post, hit the crossbar, managed to just about assist something gloriously for real football, but for FPL, standard Rafinha, hey? So not too much in in the end. And originally I was looking at losing Rafinha as well this week, but I think with the way fixtures have fallen and with the way my team is looking, I may well hold him. But for most people, it's probably between one of those two. And I simply think Coutinho's fixtures are poorer and maybe he, you know, hasn't assisted or scored in about two weeks, so it's not fresh in our minds anymore. Yep, fair play. Double on its way, but I can understand that completely. Um, Vakos, by the way, is the second highest uh, transfer in for 53,000 moves for him at the moment. I suspect that's going to continue as people begin to sell off uh, the stricken Mexican Raul Jimenez, who's actually out now until... I'm, I think he's out for an ab- absolute ages, isn't he? Because of how things have It doesn't play until out. game week 34. Yeah, end of April. Suspended for 31 and 32, and then they don't play in 33. So, absolutely. Yeah, he's got a nice, nice break. A very nice break. Right. Okay. uh, Let's take a break there and move on to the main topic just after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? 
So we're back, and it's the main topic, the main section. Should we stick or twist as the season reaches this climax? Yes, we're all in the situation at the moment. Just eight game weeks remaining, but a real maelstrom of things about to come. Doubles, some blanks as well for a few teams. And just that general sort of feeling of time running out. You know, it's business time. It's time to act. It's time to, to make the most of those opportunities in front of me to try to maximise my end position. However... Obviously, any advice we can give is massively caveated, but it depends on your chip strategy, where you are, what you've got left. And I suppose we should probably say before we kind of get into this idea of kind of sticking or twisting sword or shield, where we are at the moment and just kind of discuss our kind of chip strategies and the overriding one too. Now, I think, Harry, you've got the most chips left, haven't you, of, of all three of us? Yeah, so a bit like, you know, in my game week when I leave players with a with points on my bench and play my blank players, I like to have a big boost at the end of a game week and at the end of the season. So I, I tend to hoard my chips. And, you know, if there's a game week earlier in the season that I think I could play one, I tend to leave it because I like to have that big boost towards the end of the season. So I've still got one, well, my wild card, one free hit and a bench boost. Which I think it's quite a similar situation to with other people looking like they've still got three chips left. I think that's probably the most common three to have left but a few interesting strategies that we'll talk about that we could use them in I haven't decided quite myself so hopefully I could be a bit clearer come the end of this as well Seb you've got just one left yeah I've just got one of the free hits so naturally that'll be one of the doubles and then the very boring answer of it depends on my team and it will depend on other people's team who have that free hit I think the interesting one is your situation or at least a similar one where you because it's not that you've got more chips you've got some pretty complementary chips in a more traditional season we often save that second wild card so that we can bench boost with it in a double or maybe cover some blanks, you know, maybe you wild card in the bank, whatever it is. And I think that opportunity is available here, but it's not quite a traditional season. We've all had another free hit. There's more doubles, more blanks than usual. So if I was in your position, I would definitely try and deploy it in that way. But it depends, of course, on your team, on what your goals are and what you can get to. You know, can you secure the vital players? Because it's not about having maybe a team of 15, often it's about having five or six key players and then there's some interchangeable fodder in between. So if you had those key players for 33 or 36 or whatever, maybe the other option is the more attractive one to you, even if across the board, the opposite is true. So the one thing I would try and do in your or similar situations is deploy that wild card to then play the bench boost. I think they almost always go hand in hand and then you have the free hit to deal with the other one or, you know, game week 38 is always good fun for a free hit. No, I'm wondering, I've got my bench boost left. I'm wondering when I actually use it. <laughs> so I've, got, I've, I've just got transfers to get there. Um, it's a bit of a strange situation to be in. I mean, people have kind of, that, that game week 36 has been kind of the big one. It's because it looks like a lot of the bigger teams are going to have the double then. Whereas 33 was one which could look like there's some likelihood about it. Uh, but losing the likes of the Chelsea and the Man City doubles due to the FA Cup and things like that. I mean, that... Is that week week to bench boosting? I'm I'm not sure. Like you're relying on players who are the filler players, I guess, to double for you in that game week, aren't you? Versus the big teams, at least they're predictable. You know, you've got United um, are playing have the nicest single fixture, which is that Norwich game. Then they're away to Liverpool. You've got 
Liverpool, who do have the single, but they have at least United, so you can kind of guess what their team's going to be. Arsenal have a double, Chelsea don't. It's it's one where you, you are relying on your Newcastles of the world, your Southamptons of the world, your Leicesters of the world to make the difference for you in that week. Like I could get a decent bench boost out then, but I'm probably kind of looking at single game week players and one goalkeeper, something like that. It's not kind of that sexy, yeah, I'm going to aim for my 16 point minimum I'm probably going to be aiming for you know eight point minimum just hoping for one return from like so Deki Kulosevsky or something like that off my bench so I, I, I've never really been in a situation before normally as you said Seb I've had the compliment of the wild card and I fully wanted to compliment my wild card my bench piece my wild card a few weeks ago it's just injuries and other things like that have just meant that I was looking at kind of you know minus 12s and minus 16s to get a bench boost out and it just never quite seemed worth it for me so yeah that's the worst chips we left with that's for sure how valuable do you actually think it is because maybe i'm going to contradict myself here but maybe that's good i've just said we want to play it in tandem with the wild card but so often you see people wanting to get rid of the bench boost because it means they have to carry money on the bench or they end up using it and we get injuries or whatever I used mine back in 28 and I basically had a bench of Arsenal players, which went quite well. Mm. But that was a double game week. I didn't have a bench week, uh, a bench of double game weekers. So if you're wildcarding in 36 to have a bench of double game weekers, great. But they're not going to be City players. Like Even if you get them for that, they're going to be in your 11 anyway. So do we ever think we're in a position, barring you know some serious variants, where it's actually that much more than, say, 15 points? Mm, yeah, maybe it's overwrought. What do you think, Harry? Yeah, I'm I'm more on the boat of I think chips are valuable and I think they need to be used effectively and you should plan for them. And I actually think over the past year and a half, a lot of people disagree with me on that. And I see a lot of people thinking they're not that bad, they're not that valuable. Let's use them just at an opportunity that works and so be it. If I look at my season last season where it was my best ever finish, I don't know if I've ever mentioned that before um, at some point, but doing so well was because I did so well with my chips, all three, like my free hit, my bench boost, my triple captain and my second wild card. Those are my four highest game week ranks of the season, all ranking inside like the top 100K for that game week. And that was what allowed me to do so well because I deployed them so effectively. Now, yes, the rest of my, if you remove the chip, they were still probably would have been decent game weeks, which I think you can be a little bit caveated by. Yeah, my, my bench boost week, I did so well. But actually, if I didn't play my bench boost, I still would have done quite well. But I do think that the ability, you know, if you bench boost in one of those big doubles, then the ability and the ceiling of what you could get, even if you've got, you know, four players on your bench, three of them who double, that's sort of 16 points straight away. If you get one return or maybe two from those sort of eight, seven fixtures combined, you can be looking at a lot. People looking at the bench boost in game week 30, it's that, yes, some of those singles you could have on your bench and you are hoping for a return, but you're then having to make a decision. Okay. Do I bench like Kulisevsky in a fixture at home to Brighton or do I play or do I bench a, you know, Newcastle option in their double game week? You're kind of meaning you don't have to make these decisions. Do I bench Cancelo? Do I bench, you know, Reese James against Arsenal? Do I bench a Liverpool guy against United or do I play Shah in defense for his double game week? You're kind of not having to make that decision because you can, play them all which I do quite like the look of a bench boost 30 it's not something I'd considered for a long time but I can see why a lot of people are talking about it now but you're not convinced Tom 
No, I'm not. I'm, I'm just a bit concerned about it. And uh, it, I, I need to see how it's all going to kind of play out. I, I need to see like, the whole fixture set before I can make a full kind of assessment of how it's going. I think what's really interesting here is just to link it to our topic as well, of kind of sticking or twisting sword, a sword versus a shield. Because it sounds like said, kind of you took the sword pick of taking your playing your chips in that early sort of smash out that we've seen really recently. Whereas Harry, you're kind of going the shield route as it were, or taking kind of the more, I guess, orthodox route in how you're playing your chips. And you said last year as well, you did very well, but I'm guessing you played your chips when everyone else did. It's just that you chose the right players. You did that sort of thing. I think that's quite interesting. Like the chips in particular look different in terms of sticking or twisting in terms of the sword and the shield like is it just better to be quite defensive with your chips and just kind of make sure that you get the rise when everyone else does and the rest of the weeks are the ones that make a difference like get those differentials in which we'll speak about in a bit i mean seb what do you think about that because you obviously took your chip route differently mine's been a little bit different as well i've only got bench boost left what's your view i mean i think overall i'd describe myself as uh, probably more boring so maybe that's more shield but not deliberately trying to be sword or shield. I think I've, I've mentioned in the past that like effective ownership is not something I look at too much. I'm not necessarily looking at like, you know, until we get to the very end of the season, what my move is going to mean relative to other people around me, unless I'm in a really tight middle league or something. Because most of the time, just making the right choice for your own team, picking the player you think is going to score the most points, for example, with the captaincy, doesn't matter how many other people agree with you or not until that points difference gets quite close. And then you should start considering the impact it could have on your rank. But most of the time, we know who probably is the best choice and you just go with them. I would be an advocate of being boring until there isn't something boring to do and then go for be exciting, like pick your moment. To tie that into what Harry said about um, how he's playing his chips and whatnot, I think there's often a very, very sensible decision to make with the chips, especially in a season not like this one where it has been a bit more interesting. There have been some interesting choices to make, but normally it's obvious when you should play your chips and you just need the patience to carry that out. And maybe that's why some people fall down, you know, a bit of delayed gratification. You want to play them early, but realistically we know when their best opportunity is. And I think the most successful managers, I mean, not all of them by any means, some are very, very talented at being risky. And ultimately that's how you're going to win the thing. But that also means you need to rely on some luck going your way. Ultimately, I think it's about being conservative until there's an opportunity to be cavalier and then really going for it. And I think that's how I try and manage my team. And I would say the way I play my chips was pretty boring for my team. It just made the most sense for my team. I wasn't trying to steal anything anyone else would have had. It was a pretty straightforward team at the time. I think people forget that, that playing their chips generally is a is a sword pick anyway. That yes, it might be boring for the way that your team works, but yes, you might think, oh, all of Twitter, for example, is playing their bench boost or their triple captain this week. The chances are you're still in a good position compared to the majority of people that week. If you actually look at chip strategy, so looking at livefpl.net, over sort of 55, 60% of the top 10K have one chip or less left. And sort of only 10% of the game have as many as me, so three chips left. So even being in that situation, even if I play you know, my free hit in 33 in theory, my bench boost in 36, if that was the way I was to go. In theory, that's the more template chip strategy. It's still a sword move compared to the majority of people who just don't have those, those chips to play in the first place. Yes, you might think that you're you're in the majority, but there's still a lot of people that you'll be in a better position than. Okay. Question for you on that then. So thinking out loud, if playing your chips is a sword pick whenever you play them, but we obviously all have chips to play, 
at the end of the season, playing chips is never a sword move. It's only a sword move in the moment. So to kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier, I've risen to 6K, you're 25K, but that's because I played my chip. Say I dropped to 15 and you rise to 15. Yeah, well, we'll eventually we place. both just clashed swords against shields and it didn't mm. really matter, right? Yeah, I suppose it's, again, it's picking your moment a little bit. So you're hoping that the, the week where you don't play it, when you played it, that I shield as well as I can from what you've got and I cover it as much. And then when I go to play mine, you're hoping to do, you're hoping to do the same. But I think it's more... The damage that when other people play their chips compared to when you don't play them probably does less damage than maybe you think. And then when you go to play them, you hope that maybe it's more of an attacking move than than you think. But come the end of the season, it, it all will come out in the wash. It's just who uses them most effectively, but who has the most luck when they come to play them, to be honest. What I do like the most is when you play a chip or when you don't play a chip, looking at what other people have in their teams and how different yours is. Not trying to make it different, still trying to pick the best players. And maybe, like you said, Tom, that's what worked in game week 30. Deliberately or accidentally, people ended up with different enough teams that scored very differently and did very well. If I play my wild card, for example, and nine out of the 11 starters are players everyone's got anyway, I'm not going to feel too sorry about that. No, no, definitely not. I think it's certainly interesting to think about how different chips basically could be played as a sword, but eventually ends up as being kind of a two-sided game of rock, paper, scissors, just the scissors and the rock just hitting each other, basically. And um, you're kind of hoping that you'll both kind of end up at some sort of weird equilibrium when it comes to the end of it, especially during the course of this season, where, as we said, we've had the extra free hit chip. We've got quite a few different things that opened up. And, you know, at the time when Salah had the best TC opportunity, a few people did for their teams make the decision to take that wild card sort of route. And um, it's one of those, we heard, you saw kind of people like scoffing at it, going, oh, what are you doing that for? It's really obvious what you should be doing. But as you say, it made sense for your team to go that way. And perhaps, as Harry said, it all comes out in the wash. Um, that's for sure. Speaking of kind of other things in terms of sword versus shield, I'm interested to kind of hear what you guys characterize this as effectively. Are aggressive moves, things like punting on differentials and selling established players, or is it more stuff like taking hits? Like what sort of things encompass an aggressive kind of sword move? And should we be doing these as we kind of head towards the end of the season? As I said earlier, is it a way of maximizing opportunities? I mean, Harry, what do you think about that one? Yeah, to be honest, I think there's a lot of different types of sword moves that you can make. You know, a big differential that no one's got, but also is unproven, is much more risky, but then it's also got high reward. Taking hits for proven assets, so that's probably what I did going into game with 29. I didn't bring in players that were unproven or that, you know, weren't necessarily, they weren't lowly owned, but it was a, a sort of sword pick and making sure they had, I brought four of them in rather than, you know, just trying to hope that they didn't do too well. I tend to go down the route of, of hits for proven players is my type of sword move going for punty moves. Even if it's like one transfer on a player that's not done anything, but it's got a good couple of games is not really the way I tend to do it. I like a proven asset. Maybe it's the boring way to play, but it, it tends to be the, the way I go when I look at it. But I know a lot of people have had success. You know, I think that the Bale triple captain last year, for example, um, for, for Luke is definitely one that comes to mind for the biggest sword pick I've seen in a while. But I tend to go sort of more on the safe side of a of the sword picks. Seb? So I think that's a really interesting question because the instinct is take loads of hits, captain random players. But that isn't necessarily sword as it just is no. like willfully careless. I guess it's relative, as you've kind of said there, Harry. I, I, when I'm thinking about it, I was thinking, okay, I guess it's risk versus reward. 
A sword is going for high risk, high reward. A shield is going for like lower risk, lower reward. So to make it as boring as possible, it's basically mean and standard deviation. If you're going for a shield, you're going for the mean pick, whether that, say, is a player that doesn't explode but just returns regular points, or whether it's, you know, the mean as in everyone who is captaining a certain player, you're going for that. And then on the flip side, you're going for the standard deviation of that, which is, you know, oh, I could get a really high score or a really low score. And thus, whether it's effective ownership or whether it's because a player who could explode, whatever that is, they're going to give me a bigger boost in the moment, but I'm risking more to do it as well. But again, you're relying on people not doing the same thing as you. So if I take yeah. five hits in a week, if everyone takes five hits, then it's not aggressive, is it? I mean, that, that's the danger, I think. Well, danger is probably a, a bit of a strong word, but that, that's kind of the impact, I think, of kind of FPL Twitter, FPL socials, and the general explosion of FPL. Like we've said a few times, like the, the likes of Vaycost going from zero EO to over 100%. Um, and you saw during the last kind of blank game week as well, suddenly players who weren't a rank friend to me before, out of nowhere were. Some, some of that stood the free hit, of course, but also it's just the market forces and how that sort of works as well. And I, I do think that you know, the sword is not as sharp as it used to be in a lot of ways. Maybe that's an analogy for my life and what's going on with me too as I've gotten older. Don't ask my missus. But I, I think the sword definitely <laughs> is, de- is definitely one of those things where you know, you're kind of going to be doing something like you know buying and captioning Johnny at this moment. That's the sort of thing that is a proper sword pick and a great memory of that with Luke and the triple captains who unveiled. But even he said when it began, this is really stupid. I know it's, I know it's stupid. And he just got that incredible kind of very, very kind of um, high variance out, outcome from it, didn't he? And I do want to like add to that as well, that maybe this comes back to what you're playing FPL for. Are you playing it to be number one or to be in the top 10K five seasons in a row? For the record, I think a high consistent rank is more impressive than a number one because, uh, you know, massively generalizing, but one indicates a bit more luck. One may indicate a bit more skill, but frankly, you take number one, don't you? Because it's fun. And then that comes to the other thing. Are you actually just playing for fun? Are you playing cool, Gareth Bale, Trump captain was a silly thing, but we remember it. I don't remember what I did that week. I don't care what I did that week. So what are you playing FPL for? And there is no right answer to that. It's a game. It's a way to enjoy Burnley versus Southampton. No, no offence <laughs> to those teams. If that's what you're playing it for, go for it, you know? Yeah, Leeds versus Southampton. Who would watch that? <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> go ahead. I was having a conversation with my brother actually at the weekend and I used exactly the same game when making a similar analogy. I used Burnley Southampton. I don't know what it is about that fixture that seems to just be, if you care about FPL, you care about Burnley Southampton. If you don't, the fixture doesn't mean anything. I would put good money on it being Burnley for anyone. The other team is changeable, but it's just <laughs> yeah. Burnley. And I mean, hey, it's, to talk about real football and being boring or not, it's worked for them. They've been in the league for forever with a much smaller budget and less capable squad. So fair enough. For me, it was always Burnley Middlesbrough before they went down. I just remember so many turgid games between the two of them. It was just like a nailed-on nil-nil. Even before a ball had been kicked, you know, you end up buying Ben Gibson and buying like some Burnley, some Burnley defender, Ben Mee of Tarko or something like that. And just kind of rubbing your hands together as those 12 points invariably came in because it would be such a dire game, but you'd still maybe not watch it. I mean, I've got some paint to watch dry guys, but you'd at least be kind of keeping an eye on the score and you'd never do that if it wasn't for FPL. Anyway, riddle me this then. So you've got this idea of sword, you've got this idea of shield. How do you 
square that with how you're kind of doing in terms of your objectives? I mean, you said, Seb, you know, what are you playing FPL for? When you guys are playing FPL, it seems to try to meet in the middle in some ways. I'm playing FPL to kind of salvage some semblance of my shredded reputation at this point. So say I'm kind of 200K or wherever that is. Would you kind of be saying, if I'm aiming to hopefully get into the top 100K in the next eight weeks, would you say to sort it take a few more of those risks and go with those differentials Seb or I don't know have you said in the past that different differentials are a bit of a lie like what would your advice be to a poor struggling manager like me I mean so broadly I think due to human nature of course we focus massively on the game week in front of us we focus massively on the game week that just went we focus massively on the chips are powerful or not or whatever, or oh, I have to have a differential. Realistically, most of the season, differential is a myth. Not always, but it's not about picking a differential. It's about picking a player who scores lots of points. If lots of other people also identify that player, great. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try to identify them. It comes back to what we were saying about then, if you identify an opportunity where uh, effective ownership is effectively a multiplier on your outcome. So if we all think Harry Kane is going to score loads of points this week, we should captain him. And if we're white, if we're right, brilliant. If we're wrong, fine. If I go against that and captain Son with a much lower effective ownership, I do have to think he's going to outscore Kane. And then the effective ownership comes into it. If I'm right, I will just receive a much bigger reward. But if I'm wrong, I will also receive a much bigger punishment. So it's a modifier rather than like a reason to go for it in the first place. The only time I then think it becomes a valid strategy, if you like, is if, and I think the better example is mini leagues than overall rank, because it's just much harder to identify what is, you know, a good player to identify. But um, in mini leagues, say there's, you know, 10 of you or whatever, the person who's first is captaining Kane every week, and you either can't buy Kane, or if you buy them, all you're doing is keeping up with that person. If you want to overtake them and there's enough points in it, go Son, go somewhere else, put all your money in defence or whatever it is like that, because you're aiming to overtake them at number one and you need to outperform them, so you take that risk to do it. But you also acknowledge you may slip down the ranks because that risk comes with the reward. If, say, for example, your target is just to stay in the top three in your mini league, or often I've been in this position where it's to stay top one of the family league or the work league, I'll start making moves that I don't think are optimal, but effectively block people overtaking me. When we then look at the global league, I just think it's a lot harder to identify what is yeah, a block and is, what isn't. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Harry? Yeah. So looking, trying to put it into context in my team, so I'm about 25 points outside the top 10K, which is probably the aim that I would have at this season, this point in the season. And straight away you think, okay, maybe I need to take some hits, use a few sword picks to try and get there. But actually with a couple of chips in hand that are probably worth more than 25 points combined, I need to just be pretty happy with, with the six weeks outside between now and the end of the season. If I play my chips in the other two, and I just sort of hold rank in the other six game weeks that those two chips are going to do it. And the chips, as I said, are going to be my sword pick between now and the end of the season. My sword pick between now and the end of the season is not going to be taking hits. If you don't have your chips, then maybe you need to look there. And you, if you are, you know, not at a rank you're not happy with, then maybe you think, okay, if there's a move for an explosive player, do I make it? Do I not? Yes. If you're not happy with your rank, then maybe look to do it. But if you are, you know, if I was in your position, Seb, I probably would then owe on the side of caution that hits are probably probably not good. But if I was in Tom's situation, I probably would go and take a few more. But for me, again, my, my sword between now and the end of the season, it doesn't necessarily have to be transfers, just me putting out more players effectively between now and the end of the season than everyone else. 
in theory, is the way that I'm going to use as a sword pick. But Tom, I would probably, although don't go crazy, don't go bringing in Brownhill and Dwight McNeil this week, <laughs> but maybe Veghorst. Yeah, Veghorst is a nailed on to come in for me because I've got him and us to get rid of. There's, there's, yeah. there's, there's Tina there, really. <laughs> um, I, but I could I could go for my seventh goalkeeper transfer of the season if Ramsdale's out and get a sword pick and get Pope in or get Schmeichel in. That, that seems too many goalkeeper transfers. I, I, I've taken so many. I don't really know what happened. <laughs> I, I think we'll have to, I'll have to do an inquest at the, at, the end of the, at the end of the season how this has occurred. I but... genuinely think I might only have changed goalkeepers on wildcards. That's probably not right. But that's what I have tried to do, at least. I have before this point. I think I signed up with De Gea at one point, and you know, I had Guaitar for a while, and you, you don't want to know. You don't want to know, basically. <laughs> but, but I think that's interesting, Harry. That the idea of you got, I've got you. You got X weeks of chip assisted fun, and you got Y weeks of kind of just either sizing up if you're doing well, holding rank. If you're not doing as well, perhaps attacking those weeks as far as you can. I'm not sure how that quite works in game week 32, for example, which is looking like a quite a tough one at the moment last week with City and Liverpool. Uh, but nonetheless, I think that's really interesting and an interesting way of looking at it. A strategy I really like to try and live by in a few things, but FPL is from poker, which is tight and aggressive. So most of the time you fold your hand. Most of the time you don't have a winning hand and you mm. just fold. But when you have a good hand, you go for it aggressively. Now, I think that applies to FPL in various ways, say taking hits, for example. A way I like to think of transfers is they all cost me minus four because it stops me making another transfer in opportunity cost. So if every transfer is worth a minus four, then I'm maybe much less likely to use them. But when it's time to use them, each one is only minus four. You know, the whole, should I take a minus 12? Should I take a minus eight? Unless it's part of trying to get one player, they're independent decisions. And if I'm going to be aggressive over that, if I've identified an opportunity, I'm very happy to go for it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I'm glad you said that. I think a lot of people will be looking at transfers maybe this week, next week, that, that, that they look at their team and they think, okay, I can make one free transfer this week. And they think, oh, that's fine. It's a free transfer. But every transfer is a minus four. And I don't think people often see it that way. And they don't look at it that way enough that actually in two weeks time, you'll take a minus four and you'll think, oh, it's a minus four then. But if you hadn't have made that transfer two weeks ago, you'd have that extra transfer to make. And I don't think that's seen enough i think it's talked about more and more recently but i think a lot of time people think oh if it's a free transfer it's a free transfer but especially at this time of the season you'll need more than eight transfers between now and the end of the season so everyone does in theory add on to a minus four at the end um, one of my favorite topics over management yes i'm i'm, I'm well known for doing this sort of thing T- taking the action to move and i don't need to and two weeks later being like well, if I hadn't have done that, I'd have the one million left over to buy in this week's flavour of the week. And as it always seems to do with me, that's the week where I needed to buy the flavour of the week. And two weeks before, it didn't really happen, you know. But you know, I, I think there's definitely quite a lot there in terms of how this sort of all fits together. And it also sounds like there is some sort of link with rank to some extent. I, I completely agree that with what you were saying, Harry, about if you are where you guys are, I mean, you said does need to kind of be covering a little bit more perhaps whereas for me i suppose i do need to be taking a few more risks somehow some way and you're right eight chances is not going to cut it for me towards the end of the season is it there's gonna be far more that i'm going to need to do what's your team value like harry i mean what is that going to have any impact on like the players you're able to buy and things like that because i think seb had a was saying before we started about his and i'm sure he was come on just a sec Mine's it's not bad. I would say it's 
I don't know exactly what it is, actually, if I try and look it up. I think it's reasonable. I played my first wild card a bit later than a lot of people, so it's probably not as good as, as maybe a few other people's are. But I think it's it's at a point now where I need to start cashing in on some of that. If I've got players, you know, I sold Cancelo last week. You've built up a lot of team value to get to this point of the season. If you're just going to keep that value tied up come game week 38, then why did you necessarily try and build it up in the first place? So there is part of it now that yes, maybe take the value out of a few of those players that maybe you've got a lot of value tied up in. But mine's okay. I think when I come to free hit, then a lot of the times we're free hitting at the moment with our team values, fine, like game week 30, game week 27. We don't need Salah, you don't need Trent. And without those two, your team value kind of is much less important. Although there's been a bit of talk about Man City assets. If they're fighting for the league, then team value to afford Kevin De Bruyne and Jao Cancelo does come on top of it. But Mine's okay. It's not great. I haven't attacked it nearly as much as this season because of COVID as I did before. I don't know, Seb, have you a big team value player? So I used to be, and I guess I have a few adjacent thoughts on this, so excuse me for maybe rambling slightly, but I used to play for it a lot. I do less so now, but I still think it's important, especially with these last couple of COVID seasons, waiting for news is becoming more and more valuable. And it's still valuable, you know, international injuries and all of that. I don't think team value should make your decision on if you make a transfer, but it really should inform when. So, you know, if it's Wednesday night, Thursday night, but even a Tuesday night and a player is going to rise or fall and you can no longer make a transfer or even it might impact a future transfer and there's no matches before the weekend. The chance of that coming back to bite you is really low. The issue is you remember it when it does. And that plays into our biases that, you know, oh, that one time that I made an early transfer, it screwed me. Sure, but the 29 times you also did it and it didn't screw you, you don't remember and you were fine. So often it's kind of the correct move to make. With the caveat, of course, with COVID and all that, you have to up the risk of making a move because we don't know where someone's randomly going to get struck down. But I think alongside that as well, team value isn't a linear thing in terms of mine is quite good and it got me a very good wildcard, I think. But I think FPL Review or someone worked out that on average, 0.1 in team value was worth about four points at the end of the season. So you hear that and you think, oh, it's one transfer. That's not worth it at all to me. I should never, ever play for team value. But players aren't priced in 0.1 increments. If you can't afford Salah by 0.1, you don't miss out on four points. You miss out on however many points is between Salah and the second highest scoring midfielder, which could be 50 points. It could be 20, but it's not four. And so that 0.1 wasn't worth four to you. It was worth 20, 30, 40 points. So when you then flip that around and think, okay, if every 0.1 is worth four points, but if I can't get Salah or Kane or can't get this cheap midfielder that everyone has for whatever reason, I'm not missing out on four. I could be missing out on multiples of that. You're afraid, be very afraid by that 0.1 million disaster zone that we've all been in uh, when it comes to wild things like that. But that's, that's quite interesting. I suppose it's kind of extreme example, isn't it? That you've got, if you're 0.1, you're missing out on Salah and therefore you're not going to buy him. You yeah. Then you go then into the... But then I take a hit and how is that hit then commuted by the fact that I'm buying in a player like Salah? I think it's more interesting if you look at that within the context of, say, a middling player, like you said, you know, that the kind of the cheap midfielder that everyone owns or um, kind of a 7.5 million striker that comes out of nowhere. Those sort of things are quite interesting because you lose, you miss the bandwagon perhaps one week and then three weeks later you're sat there but the player's 0.5 and you think I could have had him for this. And that's I where that 0.1 makes more, I more sense. I think my most recent example on the wild card was I basically could build the wild, this is 26 wild card. I could build the wild card that everyone else had, but I could have Coutinho over Ramsey. Now that wasn't because I had 3 million more in the bank. 
it was because I had like 0.5 more in the bank or something, but I could get Coutinho, not Ramsey, for my Villa midfielder. And that went extremely well. That's a massively extreme example, a bit like you say with the Salawan, absolutely. But when it matters, it matters more than you think it does. It just obviously doesn't always matter all the time. And it depends on the season, of course. Like, you know, we've had a couple of seasons where actually there's been some very good cheap options. Your Bamford from last year, you didn't need six million extra to get Kane then because you had Bamford. You'd love that one. Poor old Paddy. That's a topic for off camera in a minute, but wow, poor old Paddy. So yeah, another potential sword move there to make your transfers early, despite what everybody says uh, to try to build up that team value. No, interesting, another angle let's put on it. Cool. Right. Let's summarize then a little bit. Should we stick or twist as the season reaches its climax? How are we inclined to go? Well, for me, I think sword and shield Obviously, they're artificially extremes. In a lot of ways, it's moderated by your team, where you are, and in this most peculiar of seasons, your chip situation and strategy. But I think the one variable I think we all seem to have agreed on that moderates whether we are sword or shield is your rank, perhaps your expectations of the season, however you want to spin it. Rank can be a shorthand for that. If you're having fun, it wouldn't be about that. It would be about my, the fun I want to have. It sounds to me, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, that aggression or caution suits in different areas. So if you're cautious, you tend to be doing probably okay. You tend to be kind of near the expectation to where you want to be. And you can kind of turtle your way, parallel park carefully your way into where you want to be. You can shield it, you can stick it. Um, and, you know, in the, the few weeks that Harry's got to really maximize those chips, he's counting on them, for example, to do the business. And Seb, you feel like you've kind of almost done the business now and you're kind of just aiming to consolidate where you are. Versus for me, I was going to have to be some sort of semblance of sword play to maximize my one remaining chip, the bench boost, and try to do what I can to be where I want to be at the end of the campaign. It's kind of leaving it all up to variance and hope variance smiles on me. Oh, that doesn't, that never ends very well for me, uh, but it does feel like the best thing to do rather than, I, d- I don't know. I don't know, sir. Like, should I be trying to turtle it? Where are you again? At, at 190K. So what matters, so I guess we're saying that either you define some of your fun by your rank or rank matters more than fun, whatever. But mm. where are you in other mini leagues as well? Like, is there a league that you care about more than overall overall rank? Oh, well, th- those are long gone. Players are right, too okay. good. Yeah, long gone, long gone. It's all about OR for me now, sadly. Right, so like, I mean, if you're 190k, let's say you take some risks and you finish 300k. When you look back on this on five years, that's kind of the same thing, kind of, right? Kinda. For someone who, you know, for someone who's doing a podcast, 190, 300k, whatever, it's six figures. Yeah, you probably should go for top 100, lower than that, take some risks, because I think the upside, in terms of the context of, I'm assuming, but how you may judge it, is probably more attractive than the downside is scary. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's kind of what I'm thinking. And finally, Harry, some closing words before we end up the uh, end of the session. Yeah, I think, it, it again, just depends on partly how you're doing, but it's all in respect to how you how you want to do, right? Because for someone listening, 190K, they may be very happy with that rank, whereas, Tom, you're trying to push on and do that. So still have, you know, a good target of where you want to get to by the end of the season. Don't just say, oh, I want to get as high as possible because I, I feel like that's just not a good mindset to be in oh i'll see where in the abyss i can or where i can climb to sort of have a goal so you can sort of aim to see okay at what point maybe do i stop doing sword picks and maybe move to slightly more shield pick if i'm getting into the top 100k for example but agree come this you know in five years time whether you finish 190k versus 300k it's probably not going to make any difference whereas if you move from 190k to 80k 
you probably take the gamble that that you make that and and you don't make the four. So I would probably start moving a bit more of a sword if you're not happy with where you are now. And I think one thing I'd love to just add on to the end of this is, which I think we've all discussed the last couple of years, which is brilliant, like the mental health impact of football, FBL, COVID, everything in general. And none of this is worth having a bad time outside of FPL over in my, in my own opinion. And there are many people more learned than me in the community to talk about this and, you know, solutions, if that's the right word, are personal. There is no one size fits all. But if watching your rank tick over the points come in on a weekend is just really not what you want to be doing, then either don't do it or absolutely find a way to change it, recontextualize it for yourself. Because we spoke earlier about what is FPL against the game? Why do we play it? We don't play it to ruin our weekends. We play it to enhance our weekends. And I think it's really important to just recognize that that's a thing that's important to us as well. Absolutely. Only you can help you. Um, but there's those ways you can find that help if required, that's for sure. And I think just getting to the point where you look at things and just laugh at it, that's probably the healthiest place to be when you kind of just, in the context of your overall life, you take a bad game week and just think, okay, that's happened. It is a game. It means It does mean a lot to me. Because obviously here I am on a Monday night when I've worked a long day doing this podcast. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm able to kind of just say, right, okay, that's happened. But it was a game. And sometimes things don't go well for you. It's only if it doesn't go very well for you over the course of five years that if I was more of a moaner or more of a projector of negative emotion, that maybe I'd have broken down in tears by now. But I haven't because, um, yeah, I'm able to kind of contextualize it, as you say. And hey, it's okay. Like, you know, if you have a bad week and it sucks... That's okay. Like, you know, yeah. it's okay if it sucks. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely is. Doesn't mean that you suck. Anyway, <laughs> a good time to end it, I think. And we'll take a break there and move on to the Q&A uh, featuring an interesting chat about FPL fatigue, which maybe links into this just after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's uh, just into the Q&A this week, but I think we should start off actually with a bit of a discussion point, just because I've been noticing it perhaps through just it being quite a quiet international break on, on Twitter and a low level of response, basically, when I asked those questions earlier on. Um, but FPL fatigue, I think, has definitely kind of set in now throughout a lot of kind of the, the player base. And maybe that's because we've come off the back of a blank game week, which was slightly underwhelming straight into this national break. Maybe because we had a double, double blank sort of mix. People like Seb were you know, cashing in chips like uh, they were going out of fashion. But I've definitely found that this particular international break, people have really enjoyed, I mean, Harry was speaking before we came on, both really enjoyed kind of having a little bit of time off. And I've got no qualms admitting that I've had, I struggled to figuratively get up um, after the international snooze break we're in to, to do this. I mean, I, I was hitting snooze on my alarm clock sort of thing up until kind of really recently. And I've, I've spoken to people like about it, like Karim Tizer said he's genuinely kind of a little bit exhausted by it all. And um, FPL Janino and Adam Pritchard, I know that they're both on their wildcard, for example, this week. And both said that they barely touched it. Which is very unusual because normally, you know, game week kind of three, six, and nine, there's international breaks, and that's when those people wildcard and everyone's kind of sat there sharing teams on Twitter and so and so on and so on. It's just not really been that sort of vibe. And Josh and Brandon, of course, always cheating, were asking about that on their pod. You know, how do they make fantasy fun again? I mean, what do we think of this? Do we think it's just the wall we've got to push through? Like fundamentally, us three are not gonna not finish the season. I think barring some sort of horrible tragedy which hopefully won't happen to any of us that's just not going to happen so have you guys been noticing fatigue and is have we hit the wall basically i mean Seb, what do you reckon especially from your perspective on the scout cast too 
Uh, I mean, I think that's a very fair question. And I think it differs. The last few seasons have been tiring because they've been pretty taxing in an FPL context because we're very used to FPL being a pretty similar formula formula each year, just the components change. For a terrible analogy, was it's like sort of, I don't know, driving home from work the same way for 20 years and then your work moves offices. And the first thing you do is drive to the old office without thinking about it. It's hard to do different things. Even if it's interesting and exciting, it becomes hard over time. And the last two seasons have switched up a lot of things again in an FPL context. And it's going to happen again next year with the World Cup. And that can be in a game that's pretty formulaic and quite simple by design most of the time. It can be tough to have to switch around things like that. And then you add an international break. And for me personally, I don't particularly enjoy international football. Um, so I, maybe similar to yourself, sort of almost take it off from football as it were. Then having to gear yourself back up for it, especially when you are greeted with blanks and doubles. And I can't just pick a good player. I have to consider if that player's got further games in the future, what their stats are like, what's the opportunity cost of other players are like. So I think for me, it's the mental taxation of it. And yes, is my answer. I definitely feel that. And you're right. I'm probably not going to drop out of it, least of all, because I think it really helps me enjoy football. Without FBL, you know, we joked earlier about the Burnley Southampton fixture, but I'd watch a lot, a lot less football without FBL. I'm a massive Leeds fan. I'll always be a Leeds fan and I enjoy Leeds, but I enjoy the things around football almost more than football itself. I enjoy for, uh, supporting uh, Leeds. I enjoy uh, making the game that I work on. I enjoy playing that game. I enjoy FBL. I don't know if I always enjoy 90 minutes of football. Same. Football football manager first, then, then FPL, and then the actual football stuff. Thanks, mate. I'll, I'll pay you for that later. No, no, but I love football manager. So many hours I've got played. It's actually quite depressing. It's actually running at the moment, not that I'm actually playing it during this podcast, but you know, I'm just clicking around for a minute, so just, just for your amusement. 2015, 2,690 hours played of Football Ooh, Manager 2016. That's impressive. Yeah, all, all, pretty much every game I've played over 1,500 hours. That's not me just playing, it's because it's, it's on in the background of my computer. If I got home, it was on the, oh, what a game. Anyway, um, but yeah, no, I think you're definitely right that a lot of the time you get to this, you, it, this season in particular has been mentally taxing and you're right that there's only so much the novelty effect of how the different route that people have been taking through the season, especially with all of the unintended kind of external shocks which have impacted us. There's only so much that people can kind of hold on to that. And I, I'm not surprised at all that we've kind of got to that point where people have taken a bit of a breath ahead of kind of the final run in just because it has been very different and trying to kind of use that mental brain power that normally you just kind of outsource to Ben Crellin to tell me, all right, what do I do in this vanilla season? I bench boost then, free hit then, and then I triple catch them. Great, done. Whereas this year, there's been a bit more thinking involved and also a bit more kind of dynamic FPL play involved surrounding how you're going to do. I mean, Harry, have you seen much of this from your perspective? And I guess, how would you kind of advise people to push through? Yeah, I would say this is probably the first time that I've really felt like I've got to an international break and I'm like, I need, I'm going to take like a couple of weeks off. I suppose, you know, being young and you know being in a job for not that long it's probably the first time I've had an FPL season where I'm also incredibly busy with work I think the other times work's been there but it's not been like as full-on that has meant that I've had less time to think about it which meant that my small hours of free time that I've had have been crammed in with FPL so the actual amount of time to switch off 
it's very minimal. But as you say, at a weekend, you've got a Friday night game, then you've got a Saturday early kickoff lunchtime evening. That's sort of a 12 hour window where you're constantly thinking of every single game the same on Sunday. And it's like, we, as we are saying with the Burnley Southampton game, my brother watches one football match weekend. He's a massive Chelsea fan like me, but he cares about one result pretty much every weekend. Whereas I care about 10 results. I don't care about the outcome of the match, but I care that this player starts. So I've got, you know, to think about it in the build-up to the game. I've then got to think, okay, what positions is he in? Is he going to get a goal? Is he going to get an assist? It's not the outcome of the Burnley Southampton game that I care about. It's the goal scorer. It's the assister. It's the clean sheet. It's a lot more detailed in 10 matches in a weekend that, and then during the midweek as well. Just the amount of time that we spend thinking about it and caring about these tiny little, little decisions means that when we do get a break, we, we do need to take it. And I think it will mean actually in future seasons, although I might get into it, get to an international break and think I don't feel like I need a break yet I know I'll need one later in the season so it's worth taking them earlier on because I think game week 20 to 29 has been pretty full-on with the Christmas schedule then the sort of blanks then the late reschedulings then all the different chip strategies it's been a lot of mental fatigue I think you know we're eight seasons out we're eight game weeks out take them as well as you can keep pushing through I, I feel like quitting at this point is I understand why people do it if they've used all their chips and they've got nothing more to play for. You know, you know, people who've only got one chip left who are only going to fall in rank over the next eight weeks. Well, why they're still playing the game, I don't quite know. Um, but no, generally, I would yeah try and push on over the past eight eight weeks. Attack where you can. If you are thinking that you're just going to fall, try and maybe take a few of those sore picks, make it a bit more fun. But you've put a lot of hard work in for 30 weeks of the season. Don't blow it just because you get bored with four weeks left is the way I would view it. Yeah. I mean, I think just for a bit of perspective as well, like, do you remember what feels like an age ago now, but realistically it's probably about 18 months ago when the games were drip fed and every game was on TV and everything was all magnified, you know, losing that last minute clean sheet felt terrible because there was no other game to soften the blow. And I think I felt worse then. Like we're very bad at remembering how we felt and in projecting that on how we feel now and the same we can't project our future emotions future projection bias but yeah i think just remember it has been worse and i think yes you know maximizing the break i think has been very much needed because of everything that seb said and everything that harry said and to be honest i've actually been quite glad to see all the lights out in the figurative fplville given how intense it has been and what a slog it's been, especially if you aren't where you want to be. So yeah, in some ways, I, I, I can't, I'm, I'm quite, you know, it's to be anticipated you're going to hit this wall as an FPL marathon runner going through a season. I feel a season's not a, not a sprint, it's a marathon. But you know, we're all going to push through and I think, you know, it's good that we've all had this break and I certainly feel a bit more into it now we've spoken about it for a while. I definitely wasn't feeling into it when I was doing all the prep for this, that's for damn sure. Right, let's move on to the questions this week. Manchester United what are they good for obviously absolutely nothing um, but outside of our own anti-United biases FPL JMO asks is Man United having one good game in double game week 33 remember they got Norwich and Liverpool out of the two really worth it for free hitters and if you don't have your free hit should you be making transfers now to build towards getting one of their heavyweight assets in I mean Seb it's a it's that one game isn't it that's the carrot the Norwich game but is it worth disrupting your team to bring a 
if, if we're saying just Bruno, just Ronaldo, maybe some Sancho, Sancho's 8.9. The other two are kind of premium assets. Is it worth disrupting your team to get a Red Devil in for that nice double? I mean, it feels a bit similar to the Burnley, you know, Vercors conundrum, which I know I'm going to go for and I know I'm going to regret. Because in, you know, this week specifically coming up, Burnley have Man City and then I think it's Everton. So the Man City, it might as well be a single with Man City probably. And maybe that's the same with Man United. It might as well be a single. I guess it's more like a 1.1 as opposed to a one or a two, because there is the, you know, there is the opportunity for points to be scored. The thing I'd maybe keep an eye on is, and this goes for other teams as well, is the fixtures around that, especially important in 36 with your cities and whatnot. There's the FA Cup final, I think, ahead of 37. There's Europe around that. And then the time between fixtures. So looking at this here, I think we have Man United playing Norwich at 3pm on Saturday the 16th and then Liverpool at 8 o'clock on Tuesday the 19th. Depending on who's fit and available, does the player you sign for your team actually play both of those matches? Hopefully they play the Norwich one at home. But what if, for example, a Ronaldo gets a rest, which we know can happen now, or, you know, God forbid, a Bruno gets a rest? I think that's worth considering. And then maybe it comes down to the boring old team structure again. A Sancho is much easier to get in and is probably the route I would go personally, simply because Ronaldo is probably a Kane sacrifice and Bruno may well be a Son or, goodness, even like a Salah or a, by extension, a Kane sacrifice. Yeah, I would agree. I'd probably add on top of that that actually Manchester United's game in game week 34 after that is the early kickoff against away at Arsenal as well. Another big game for them that... You know, if we look at the next few games, they've got Leicester this week, then they play Everton away. Okay, you'd probably expect them to pick up a win there. Then the Norwich game, followed by Liverpool and Arsenal, there will, you know, be a little bit of rotation throughout and that Norwich game definitely feels like it. Yes, it's a double game week, but unless you're on a free hit, I I can't see myself advising anyone to go and buy Manchester United assets. Sancho, I think, would be the one I would go for just because it's based on price, but I don't think... Yeah, outside of on a free hit, I'd probably own him. Apart from that, I probably wouldn't just because if you buy, for example, you know, you're going to buy a Man City asset. Yes, they double in 33 Manchester United, but over the foreseeable future, Foden, for example, doubling in 36 is probably going to score a similar amount of points, probably going to outscore what you're going to get from Sancho just because he has a double, which includes Liverpool away. Just doesn't really feel like, yes, it's a double game week, but one of the, if, if you take that away, it's just not really worth it. And you realistically can't expect more than maybe two points going into that game. So on a free hit, I'd probably go and buy Manchester United assets, one of them. But apart from that, I think you'll just, it's as we said earlier, it's an additional transfer that's effectively a minus four. And if they're not going to score those four points in that Liverpool game, then you're taking a hit to bring them in for that one game, which I don't think I don't think's worth it. But, you know, I do think that if you are going to have them, a free hit or free hit not, especially without free hit, someone like in your position, Tom, where effectively, I guess, to get to a rank you want, 50k, whatever that is, you maybe need some luck to come off. You can't control if it comes off, but you can throw your hat in the ring, maybe going for a Man United player, going for a Burnley player, and then doing the same again in 36 is throwing your hat into that ring. So maybe these are the people who should be looking at these players and going, I know Ronaldo might not be the best choice, especially ahead of Kane, but he could score five goals in two fixtures and that would really help me. Yeah, I mean, what one thing I've got here is a potential thing to do. 
um, is what I'd love, I think, is to find a way. And I don't think I'm going to quite be able to unless I do something like sacrificing a cane, selling a trend, like really high roles, basically, um, if I did do it, was to find a way to get Sancho in for them and use that slot as a punt slot. So Man City have, as we mentioned, like of Foden, they've got a couple of good, they've got a few good midfielders around the 8.9 million mark um, and the City's kind of end of season fixtures are pretty good and they've got a couple of games after game week 33, which are kind of ripe for a Will Smith style slapping. Uh, Watfield, Watford, Leeds, I mean, you know, those are two games in which you could, if you did captain a Foden in them, you could find yourself sat there with you know, a 15 point return, something like that. So that could be one way of doing it. Another thing you could do um, is perhaps, you know, punt on a Langer, for example, for a cheap individual in game week 33 um, who could play, perhaps play Norwich. And they, maybe they played like the first team uh, against Liverpool. So you'd be hoping for 120 minutes, but most of the game against Norwich, something like that. But I agree. I'm a little bit concerned about bringing a United player especially if they've increasingly looking like they've got nothing really to go for. If you're on free hit, I definitely would kind of at least go with Bruno plus one. I don't know if I'll be back in their defence, but I think I'd definitely have two, if not three, um, just to kind of hope that, that you get a feast in that Norwich game, you know. A counterpoint to that, and I know I'm going against what I've said earlier, but just a general point of discussion. If you're not on free hit, they play Leicester at home this week, then they have a week off and they play Everton away before a week off again before the three games that we've spoken about. The next two games are also good. And actually, if you compare them to the likes of Liverpool, Chelsea, City, who've got fixtures midweek, Foden will play in the Champions League. You'll have Havertz playing in the Champions League. Sancho's got a lot less minutes to play over the next three. That actually, if we're talking about him being a bit of a risk to play both in game week 33, could he be an option... In, in 31 and 32 as well, given that he's playing against teams that that don't, given the pay, paying teams that actually can concede a lot of chances, that actually is moving on them now, actually, if you're going to get them, is moving for 31 actually the best way to do it. It's the opportunity cost of who you lose, isn't it? So, yeah, I mean, most of us, I'm fairly sure, are going to be sporting a midfield, something like Salah plus kind of four little duckies, the likes of, you know, Saka, Marcelli, Kulisevsky, Barnes. You've got a Son, perhaps, uh, rather than a Kane, then maybe that's an angle that you might go down. But as I'm somebody who has Kane, like, I, I think that that's kind of the face of madness and tempting fate to be saying, right, I'm going to take Kane out for somebody to, especially in the absence of forwards. And at the back, you know, if you don't have a Robertson, and you've got Trent, maybe a Spurs player and, you know, James there and a couple of fillers, then maybe you've got, if you've got a million sloshing around, there could be some way of doing it. But he's at a very awkward price point. Obviously, there's opportunity in the awkwardness there because you're getting a player and other people can't get to. But the flip side of that is how our teams look at the moment without a chip as well for me. It just looks like just too big an engineering job to make it all fit together. But it's a really good point. And if you can get there, I think there's definitely some um, credit in what Harry, Harry's saying there about potentially having a differential like that in the in kind of um, the, the immediate future, just because Sancho's, the numbers are finally there for him. Remember at the start of the season, people were saying, oh, you know, maybe I'll get Sancho instead of Bruno. Hmm, maybe not them, but now that could be a definite thing. That's for sure. Right, uh, let's move on. And I mentioned just then what my defence currently looks like. It is Trent, Robertson, Rudiger, uh, 
the Irish fella at Spurs and Luca Dean. And um, I've still got Luca Dean somehow. Um, but uh, Benny Blanco, um, who is running game week 39 up in Birmingham, uh, the final, uh, the week after the final game week of the season, I think that would be the 20, is it 28th of May, Harry, 29th of May, something like that. You're testing me. I think so. Yeah, it's, it's a game. It's a game. It's, 9th, I think. Yeah, final, 20, is the yeah. final Sunday 22nd? Yeah, yes. yeah, I think it's 29th. Yeah, so it's GW39 uh, North VS South.co.uk or at Benny underscore Blanco 40 on Twitter if you want to find out more about that. Uh, really, really good. All proceeds go to Street Child United, a great charity too. Um, he got in touch and asked, is Big at the back back? Is Trent, if fit, Robertson, Cancelo, James, and Rudiger such the port all the way to the way to go all the way throughout the end of the season? Because strikers are very bad, aren't they? I think there's definitely some truth in that. And could that said be kind of a differential in of itself, you know, the compound differential of having all of these individuals in your team that no one else does? going for it with the defenders, that sort of a shield block, as it were, turning the edge of the shield into a, into a sharp sword. I mean, I would I would go one step further and say, of course, there are some circumstantial qualifiers, but big at the back is a good strategy most of the time, especially with this world we live in now with flying wingbacks that are priced like average midfielders and return the points often of someone not far off a premium player. Arguably, you know, we should be seeing James at 8 million, Trent at 9 million, or you know, give or take next year. Mm. I think big at the back is probably how I've had my greatest success in an FBL give or take most of the time, you know, doubling up on a trend and a Robbo before it was popular, something like that. So yes, now, and yes, generally, I think they're the best value players in FBL, providing those players are fit and available to be picked. Yeah, when I go to play my wildcard between now, whether it's game week 31, game week 34, I am pretty confident that Trent, Robbo, Cancelo, James will all be on it. The fifth one will probably not be a Rudiger or a Laporte. It probably won't be someone as expensive as that. It will probably be a Doherty or a Ben White, probably one of those two, to save a little bit of money. Rotate four or five at the back. But I think those four that you've got there, Trent, Robo, Cancelo, especially if the title race is still on between Liverpool and Man City, I think those three, and then James as well, are just... Yeah, as we say, you know, you could pick a eight, nine million. If you actually look at the, basically, they're the best assets outside of Salah and Kane. It's not just seven, eight, nine million pound midfielders. It's basically any midfielder and any forward in the game outside Salah and Kane. I would rather pick those four in defence over them, pretty much. I don't think maybe Son comes to mind. But apart from them, no one really comes to mind that is a better pick than those four. So, yeah, if you can get to it, I would definitely be looking at the big four wing backs. Oh, I'd love to. Maybe Rudiger over James if you're a little bit antsy about James's injuries. I mean, at some point during the course of the season, he will get a two-pointer and that will be cause of celebration because he just hasn't got one this whole year. It's incredible, really, given how well he's done and massive difference he's made for so many FPL managers. The guy's allergic to a two-pointer. <laughs> it's absolutely I'm just uh, yeah it's, 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 it's quite the odd FPL season really when you look at just what he's done throughout the course of the year yeah so anyway yeah, big at the back is good I've got a bit of an issue in terms of how I get Cancelo back because I basically sold him for, for Robert Robertson um, and I, I'm not too sure how I, how all these things can coexist together peacefully I'll see if I can find a way to get him back though I think he, he's one of those players who uh, reflects perhaps what you're saying Harry that 
if I don't own him, I find Man City particularly tough to watch just because of how how uh, involved he is as that kind of inverted playmaker who happens to also notionally start at left back. I wish I could instruct my players and football managers to do that, Seb, that's for sure. Right, uh, let's move on to the next question. Differentials in general. Uh, all that FPL asks what differential players are worth considering going forward. And just to bring it into focus for double game week 31, I mean, I think um, Seb and I have both really given away that we're going to be boarding the veg horse once more to disruption. Um, <laughs> but John A. Forward asks, which obvious trap are we all going to fall into for the double game week that's just in front of us? He says his money's on Dominic Calvert-Lewin if he's fit. So differential players going forward and anybody who can suit us for the immediate future, guys, who springs to mind? I would, I mean, we have jokes about Veghorst, but he's dropped to 6.4, didn't play for Holland uh, during, or the Netherlands, I should say, uh, during uh, the international break. And yeah, I mean, they do have five games in three game weeks. Could it be worth it? I'll, I'll, I'll jump in before Harry. I'll leave, I'll leave some specifics to you, Harry, but I think I'll go a bit more general, which is of a cop-out. But um, So one player I think could be a, a differential then is, is James, but I think that ties into, I think, some of the sim, single game week players often get overlooked. Now, usually it is smart to go with the doublers. It is the percentage play. But someone like James, people may ignore. And if he hadn't got injured, I think people may well have kept ignoring in favour of getting these doublers in. But he, in a single match, can return the same as anyone else in two and is, I think, worth having for the medium term because of how he'll average returns over that. And that goes for other single players as well. And then on the flip side, so a trap we can fall into is not going for doublers in general, but, for example, Burnley last time round, or maybe there's a team this time round, we mentioned DCL, but I think Everton in general. Just because a team is doubling, they do also have to be good. So a double is attractive, but... If you didn't expect them to score in, let's say, game week 34 and 35 consecutively, there's no real reason they're going to score in 34 just because the two matches come 33, just because the two matches come together. It ups the chance, but they need to actually have the opportunity to start with. Yeah, I think I agree. If we look at if I look at 31 specifically, I think there's only three, I might extend it to four players I'd consider buying that have a double. And I think a lot of people will focus on buying players with a double when there are a lot of good single game week players that you could go and buy, which would benefit your team for the longer term. Burnley, I think Veghorst is a fine pick. If he was seven and a half million, I don't think I'd be buying him. He's a fine, cheap option, which is why I don't look at Calvert-Lewin and I don't look at Richarlison, just because seven and a half million, yes, they've got a better double on paper, just I, I don't like the money in my forwards and I want to take it out. And Veghorst plays five times in three game weeks. So I can just about say you're the least rubbish of all the forwards outside of Harry Kane. Maybe Pope, if you do want to look at a goalkeeper transfer, I'm considering him in for Saar. Now, Saar has Villa at home this week, but I then wouldn't have a keeper for 33. So Pope, again, plays three times in five times in three weeks when... Sar in theory plays twice and then I'd have to play Foster in that other one. I am considering that and then maybe a Burnley defender. The only Everton player I would consider buying is Gordon. And the reason being a cheap midfielder, they double this week. They're like, they then have two more doubles to make up later in the season. Only again, if you've got your bench boost and you'll want him for that. It's probably the only circumstance that I would consider going in on an Everton asset. If you can get Gordon in and you've got your bench boost still to play because they're fixtures to add in our Crystal Palace at home and Watford away. So they will have, in theory, two doubles with at least one nice fixture in. 
So if you are bench boosting, Gordon can help that. And he's looked pretty good in comparison to the other Everton Everton players. He's not looked that great in comparison to players from other teams, but for the rest of the Everton lineup, he's not looked bad and he is pretty affordable. But I would say there's only a handful of players. And if Burnley only doubled in 31, it didn't double in 33. So if you're playing your free hit in 33, I then don't think I wouldn't even be looking at Burnley then. And I would just focus on some of the other big teams that maybe we're looking at instead. Here's a question. Sorry, mate. Here's a a question for you that um, maybe ties in a bit to like looking as well, you know, single versus double. And I think we often end up prioritizing the now over the future. Mm -hmm. I have Dubravka and Foster and Dubravka may, may not be out ill for this week. Foster, I believe, has Liverpool. Liverpool, yeah. Yeah. So is Pope an option for me? Now, the sticking point is that he's more expensive than both of them, a mill more than Dubravka. So I'm eating a mill. I have that in the bank, but I'm eating it. And that might stop me, say, using it elsewhere in the future. For example, doing like a Dean to James or something. What call would you make there? I'm going to suggest something completely rogue, but what about Foster to a different goalkeeper and keep him to Bravka because from, you know, if you went, let's say Everton, let's say you went to Pickford, for example, I don't think he's probably the best, but off the top of my head, if you then think about it, Pickford doubles in 31, then Pickford's still got two more doubles to play. You've then got Dubravka doubling in 33. Effectively, you've got a double game week goalkeeper for four of the last eight game weeks of the season. If those were the two to go with Pickford, I actually would save you a little bit of money. Pickford's double is much better than Pope's this week because he doesn't have to play Man City. Everton are worse defensively, but it would probably be you can play Dubravka most weeks between now and the end of the season, just play Pickford in the doubles. I'd probably do that before I went and bought Pope. And, and I mean, I think that's a fair compromise. I'm not, I need to give it some thought because the price difference is about 0.8 versus 1 million or so. So realistically, it doesn't materialistically change what I can do in the future. Yeah, And it eats a transfer. But like you say, I'm not in the situation where I'm just upgrading a random player. I could end up with no goalkeeper slash a Liverpool, someone playing Liverpool. Mm-hmm. So maybe it is a wise move in this one situation. In, in that same vein, what about Schmeichel too? I mean, he doesn't double immediately. But he's 4.8. Um, and also, nice. you know, they were saying about having a, a nice game. Gordon's rearranged. I mean, Leicester have got the nicest game possible to rearrange, which is Norwich at home um, at some point. So you've got, you've got a similar situation where you could... Well, I mean, you haven't got the bench boost to use, but you could consider if you wanted to just you know, keep money around. You know, you're, you're only going to be optimising your eleven now, aren't you, Seb? You're not going to be looking to pad out that bench. So yeah. carrying Dubravka probably be a bit too rich for my blood. I'd be looking at saying maybe moving Dubravka probably over to maybe Pickford, but I just don't trust Evans' defence. I kind of think maybe Leicester have turned the corner a little bit and they've got the players to come back to reinforce them now at the back. Um, so maybe I'd be kind of looking at doing Dubravka to Schmeichel for the rest of the season. I mean, the game, their leftover games are pretty good and I suspect he... Of uh, it could be famous last words, but he of all of Leicester's defense is the least rotatable. I'd imagine. I don't think we'll be seeing Danny Ward play anytime soon. You, you, I say that you buy him and Danny Ward starts, doesn't he? But he'd be one. And um, plus, you can always be amused and be on his side when he complains after they can see the goal, which is every goal. Um, 
in answer to the overall questions, I did note earlier on, and we've mentioned them all, um, that Veghorst, Pope, all of these players that we, Gordon, all these players that we mentioned, they're all less than 5% owned overall. But I don't think that that particularly, the overall stat, I don't think at all reflects kind of engaged managers anymore. As I said, the sword has been blunted to some extent, that's for sure. And for example, I looked and Harvey Barnes, who was the favourite of the week last week, maybe it's because of free hisses, no, not owning the guy. He's down to just 4% owned I mean it, it is like that all over the shop at the moment there are loads of these players who could probably make a difference for you who have got a decent ceiling um, who aren't quite there yet but I think that everybody's going to fall for their course this week and we're all going to just kind of say you know what 10 points in three games that'll that'll do I mean I'm, I'll just basically tell the grandkids that he got a goal in one game got all three bonus came on and got injured in the second game and I still got my 10 points so there you go I mean was it one goal and two assists in nine games, generally looking threatening. As Harry said, he's there because he's simply the least rubbish. The forwards have been absolutely terrible. I don't think I want to be spending an extra million on the likes of Calvert-Lewin or Richarlison. I think he's that kind of mix of just being cheap and also not being a rotation risk. Why not? If there were forwards out there galore, we were lamenting the loss of Bamford in the break. If Bamford was there, we wouldn't be having this conversation because he'd have scored another 199 points this season, wouldn't he, Seb? But hey, Veghorst all the way. I mean, personally, I'm thinking Veghorst just because I have Jimenez. I have Brogia, Lacazette and Jimenez. Jimenez to Veghorst makes sense. It gets me a million. I, the only other real thing I'd do with my forwards is go all the way down to like a Gelhard. He could get some minutes. I don't think he's nailed on or anything like that at all. But then I just have loads of money elsewhere. And as you said, I don't have a bench boost. So I just play one striker going forward. Right. Well, that leads us nicely into uh, transfers and captains. So Seb, you've, you're like me, actually. You've got Jimenez and Dean sat on your bench at the moment. You've got Trent on the pitch, but another fun with flags there. You do have an 11, but Dubravka, um, it sounds like a poor guy's got angina or something like that from the reports that came out. So maybe... I, think that might, I think that might have been misreported from what okay. I was reading earlier, okay. but that doesn't mean he's available. <laughs> it, was, it was unwell, yeah. So, so a goalkeeper transfer, potentially Jimenez to get rid of. I mean, are you taking a hit? You've got two free transfers, haven't you? What do you think I'm doing? I've got two free transfers. So, so I have the Bravka in goal, Trent, Robertson, Tierney, and Doherty at the back. Salah captain, of course. Son vice captain, Saka, Rafina, Kulisevsky. Lacazette up front and a bench of Foster, Brogia, Dean, and Jimenez. So big misses Kane. And honestly, I might just not go there now because it will cost me a couple of transfers to do it. And I think I can spend those better. It might hurt me, but I don't want to chase after the player I should have had two weeks ago and give up the players I should have now. So the players I think I should have now are probably, as we've talked about a bit, the defenders, your Cancelo, I want James back. I probably need to make a forward transfer. And the decision is, do I do, say, Jimenez to a course and obviously play him, but I'm not sure who I'd drop necessarily going forward. Maybe one of the defenders at the moment. Or do I do Jimenez, say, right down to like a Gelhard, keep that money in the team. And then the new question of Dubravka, I genuinely might not make a goalkeeper transfer just because I want to spend that money and those points elsewhere. I didn't have a goalkeeper last week and realistically, they have the lowest ceiling of all of your players. Oh, makes sense. Uh, on to me. So yeah, I've got Ramsdale who's flagged. If he if he doesn't play, I don't think I'm going to be as happy Fielding Foster, so I may be looking at buying Pope in there. Jimenez to Veghorst makes a lot of sense. I've got, I've got Breuer on the pitch at the moment, but I'd probably bench him for Veghorst. Looking okay. Uh, looking okay in general. So Ramsdale in goal, iffy at the back. The back three are Rudiger, the Irish lads. Matt Doherty. Doherty, 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 Doherty. The man's a prodigy. 
Robertson, um, I'm assuming Trent isn't going to play at the moment, so he's on my bench as it stands. In midfield, Salah, obviously with the armband at the moment, Martinelli, Saka, Kuzhevsky and Barnes, and up front, Kane and Breuer, but I think Breuer will be replaced by Vegkor, so I think that's all right. It's just if Ramsdale is fit, I'm not probably not comfortable playing Foster against Liverpool, I think that's probably just a step too far, I think that could be a bit of a cricket score, potentially, potentially, I'm sure it would just be a 1-0, um, but the reality is of uh, memories of Salah scoring four goals and getting an assist is going to be high in my mind for that particular week and finally Harry notice your bust on Kane as well is, is that just a mistake of uh, sending me over a bus team from last week no well I partly um, but I don't think he's that dreadful a captain option this week it will probably end up on Salah but I believe they have Champions League midweek after the Watford game and then they play Manchester City the following weekend whereas Kane has Newcastle and then a week off so Kane will play 90 minutes, Salah may not. I think it will be on Salah. In terms of my transfers, I'm completely undecided as to what to do. I think Jimenez to Veghorst will be a transfer that I make this week. I only have one transfer. I am also That does also leave me the exact money in the bank to do Amati up to Reese James, which is possible. I could also do Saar to Pope this week because I want Pope for game week 33. Yes, it would be a minus four, but I don't particularly love the Wolves defence. They're so one week good, one week rubbish, a bit like Villa, one week good, one week rubbish. That game could go either way. And then I could also play my wild card this week. So I've got quite a few things to think about. I think there's about a 35, 40% chance I end up playing my wild card. And then if not, it would just be probably end up doing a minus four Jimenez to Wakehorst and then one of the others of Sarta Pope or Amati up to Reese James. Cool. Certainly makes sense. All right. I think that's your lot, isn't it, Harry? Yes, it is. We've rambled on about the blanks, the doubles, but also chip strategy. It's nice to hear, you know, I've had a week off. So to get a few thoughts on, on chip strategy has been great. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We were who got the assist. Thank you very much for coming on, Seb. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Oh, so much. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I'm sure you'll edit this down into something nimble and intelligent, but we've rambled beautifully and I've loved it. So thank you so very, very much for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on again, Seb. And thanks so much for uh, raising yourself up your own slumber, Harry, uh, to join me again today. We'll be back next week, I think after Palace and Arsenal or during Palace and Arsenal Monday. I think we'll probably leave the Wednesday Burnley game hanging. Inevitably for Veghorst to, to blank again. But yeah, in the meantime, hope to assist you. I'll speak to you very, very soon. Enjoy the rest of the international break and good luck in game week 31. See ya. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.